the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. My guest today grew up in the church, graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, spent 16 years engaged in outreach to college students right here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and more than a decade ago, pastored and planted a brand new church. Joining us now is the senior and founding pastor of Awakening Church of San Jose. We're pleased to have with us today, Pastor Ryan Engram. Pastor Ryan, great to have you on the program. Uh, great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Great opportunity to talk about what God has been doing, and and maybe to do that, kind of take us back. Um, as I mentioned, you you grew up in the church, and I guess yeah. let's just kind of let the cat out of the bag right early on here. We're not going to spend too much time talking about Dad because we're going to talk about your ministry today. Sure, but uh, certainly longtime listeners of KFAX uh, are very familiar with. Chip Ingram, your dad, who uh, I understand yeah. not too long ago retired from full-time pastoring at Venture Church and is now in the radio ministry and speaking and book writing full-time, I understand. Yeah, I like to say it is he went down to one full-time job uh, and he's, you know, he was longtime senior pastor of Santa Cruz Bible Church where I grew up uh, and many people know and love him here in the Bay there and then obviously at Venture Christian, um, but he's always had living on the edge his international discipleship ministry that reaches you know literally millions of people across the country and so uh, that's his full-time gig right now and it's wonderful and he's doing great good glad to hear it was this progression for you then kind of a natural thing having grown up in the church and and been under the influence of of a forward-thinking pastor like your dad that at some point you knew inevitably god was going to have a hand on you in leading you into full-time ministry i think others saw it obviously in me before i saw it typical for many of us but growing up and it wasn't that I didn't want to be a pastor, but um, I didn't want to be a pastor. <laughs> I, I was a musician and loved um, just getting to be in that scene. And so I didn't see myself really as a pastor, but had a love for the Bible, love for God's word. And just took one step, you know, going to study at Moody and then another step and being called into ministry and answering that call and uh, started out in youth ministry, then college ministry. And then here we are, uh, never wanted to plant a church. And now we get part of a little over a decade uh, leading and planning the Awakening Church. 
So it was all in kind of gradual steps along the way. And I think the Lord oftentimes leads us that way. If, if we knew in the very beginning where his ultimate plan would lead us, we'd probably be so frightened. We'd, we'd run out of church or run in the opposite direction like our hair is on fire, I would suspect. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he's so gracious and kind. You know, we want him to show us the whole picture, step four, five, and six. And often he just shows us step one and calls us to obey and follow him. You know, I when I look back at our planning time. I'm reminded of Abraham when, you know, God said to him, go to the land, I'll show you. And I think the challenge for us is we want God to show us and then we'll go. And it's no go, take the step, what I've been clear on, and as you take that step, I'll show you the next step. And that is how God leads us, and that's what it means to walk by faith. Exactly, and that that really is that faith component then, that, that, you know, if the Lord spelled everything out in very clear steps, we would know what to do, what to anticipate, how to react, and how to act, and yet it then vacates that component of having to put our trust in him that that literally as we venture out and whatever it is god might call us to do it be it working in the world of of business or trade or ministry reliance upon him to lead each step of the way is not only putting him first and foremost in our lives but i think also giving us an opportunity to really understand what it means to truly be entirely reliant upon him which is really what he wants out of us he 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 wants us to surrender it all, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's how relationships built. Uh, it's not a transaction to get what you need. It's a dynamic relationship with him. And it, it is in that faith and trust process that you learn to trust him and build that intimacy and dependence upon him. Let's talk about the prospect or the challenge of introducing him to others. Uh, we mentioned that, uh, my goodness, uh, pushing on nearly two decades ago, uh, you and your wife, Jenny, uh, began the outreach ministry of awakening kind of w- within the confines of Westgate Church as yeah. youth and college outreach. And I would imagine in that period of time, you've seen some pretty dramatic changes in terms of we've gone from being largely a society that, that generally accepted God. Maybe we, we grew up in the church, although perhaps have stepped away from it. Now we've got a whole new generation for whom, especially in a region like the Bay Area, where we have so many transplants from other parts of the world, where beginning to share our faith uh, on kind of the initial foundation that we all agree that God exists, but who is he and does he have a plan for my life? And if so, what does that look like? No, we have to take even a further step back and begin the introduction of the notion of even the concept of the existence of God or even, get this, even more challenging perhaps to some, the concept of truth, that these sure. days there seems to be you know, a fluidity within the notion of truth that historically wasn't there. And, and I'm curious, your, your perspective on that impact of ministry in a place like the South Bay and to collegiate and younger people. Yeah, I, I'm so grateful to have been and still in many ways, our church is still very young, 50%, 18 to 30 years of age. Uh, I feel like that's really the front lines um, today of those that are um, in this cultural shift that is rapidly changing on a daily basis um, there. And so I think we have an incredible opportunity as the church to 
stop answering the questions that people were asking in the you know 90s or early 2000s and begin to wrestle with the questions that they're asking and start from their starting point help them understand like uh, the concept of truth well okay let, let's talk about that because at the end of the day is truth is just what happens when we hit reality when we come you know face to face with reality and the consequences of that that's that's what happens and so uh, we begin to have those conversations, and I, I actually think, even though there is that rise of nuns and duns that everyone's talking about, there there is still the spiritual craving and hungering, and you see spirituality on the rise and a searching for transcendence, a searching for something beyond myself. Um, the soul is always on this search for wholeness, and and we have. Uh, the answer in Jesus. Now we have to learn how to communicate that in a way uh, for them to hear and receive that. And so uh, that's the exciting prospect. I think the challenge is over COVID and all the division and challenges that we walk through. I think followers of Jesus have really um, privatized their faith and been shamed into not talking about Jesus in the workplace uh, and so how do we help equip those that are in the workplace or on the university campuses to share Jesus in a really winsome way? That, that challenge of being engaging and, and maybe running contrary. And, I, and I'm glad you kind of set the, the stage for our conversation today, that, that sense of foundation that though we may have perceptions about where the nuns are today. And I think if, if you look at some of these surveys that are put out by organizations like George Barna and others would perhaps lead people to conclude that, well, we're, we're kind of moving into a, a day and an age when technology is leading the desire for connectivity and relationships relationship is is on the on the wane after all young people would rather text than phone and and the personal one-on-one engagement that used to be out of necessity because that was the only means we had to communicate has all kind of fallen by the wayside or into the history books but that really that 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 notion defies the fundamental point that you just made and that is that in each and every one of us we are still nevertheless wonderfully made by him in his image having breathed very life into us. And I think that innate desire, we may not be able to articulate it, but that innate desire to want to have fellowship with our creator is still there. We may not know how to look for it. We know, may not know what to call it, but nevertheless, it's still there. And so I wonder if maybe there's a, a fundamental flaw in our approach of thinking that, ah, young people today, they, they, don't, they don't want to be connected in true relationship. They don't even know how to do that. Talk, talk to that point, if you would. Yeah, and I think it's that thought that is creating such a big divide. Uh, and one of the things I talk to those that, uh, you know, I'm 42, so I don't even fit into the demographic of our church uh, you know, you know, because it's so young. And there's many people that come that are, you know, 50, 60, 70. And then looking at this younger generation, the call for them is to be generational missionaries. 
is to go my role and my purpose is there's a whole generation especially in silicon valley young people well over a hundred thousand between the age of 18 and 25 years of age just in san jose alone uh that desperately need jesus that would be considered an unreached people group by all the data and standards and so if we begin to have this focus and view of like uh, they're an unreached people group what would you do as a missionary you would study their culture their language begin to understand their values and then bring the gospel in a contextualized way that makes sense to them instead what we're doing in the church is they don't care they don't want it they don't and so then there's this divide and young people 20 year olds showing up to a church that doesn't uh, communicate the gospel in a way that makes sense to them and they just walk away disillusioned as it as it done and so that is just part of it for us of like okay this generation one of the beautiful parts they have a deep desire for authenticity and and it may not be expressed always in the way that everyone goes well that's wonderful but man the church needs authenticity doesn't it they have a deep desire for justice in the world Here's what I know. We can argue all around justice. Jesus is all about justice. Justice for the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the least of these. It's throughout his parables. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Now we're starting to tap into some of their values that they absolutely have that are 100% in line with the gospel. Now, the way it's expressed is aligned all the time. Absolutely not. But now we're, we have common ground. And then this intrinsic need, I think the church has an incredible competitive advantage because um, in a digital world, in a disconnected, we're never more connected, but we're never more disconnected. uh, The human craving for transcendence and presence is, is just being amplified in the soul. And that's the worship experience. That's the gathering of the saints. That's what we're longing for, not just digital content to, um, you know, consume. Young people, they're they're over that. They got that all day long. What they need is a life-changing encounter with God. My special guest today, the founding and senior pastor of Awakening Church of San Jose, Pastor Ryan Ingram with us today. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Visiting today with founding and senior pastor of Awakening Church of San Jose, Pastor Ryan Ingram. Pastor Ingram, let's pick up the conversation where we left off just a few moments ago. What I'm struck by in in what I'll describe as your missional approach is, number one, how cyclical it is in that if we look at the early church, it was all about going to other tribes and other tongues and other people groups. And the articulation that the gospel is is for both Jew and, and Gentile, the slave and the free. It is for everyone. And historically, America as a missionary sending nation has understood what it's about to go to another land where you don't speak the language, don't understand the culture, but learn about them. Figure out how they communicate. 
learn what will resonate with them in expressing the gospel message, the methodology of that expression. Of course, the message itself is timeless. And then to present that gospel and reach others for Christ. And I think what you're suggesting is this notion of sort of business as usual. They went to church when they were kids. Of course, they're going to figure it out. No, instead to take that missional approach and say, yeah, they, they kids today compared to baby boomer generation certainly use other means of communication. Some might argue have a whole different language. So what should we do? I think it's exactly what, you, what you've just suggested, and that is to take a missional approach. Well, let's learn their language. Let's figure out their culture and then figure out how to deliver this timeless message. Absolutely. And that's one of the challenges that we talk about is we need a first century uh, Judeo-Christian mindset in a 21st century world. And we've imported rather a 20th century Judeo-Christian. And we have to get back to the early church because uh, we can bemoan, okay, there used to be a, a broad sense of maybe cultural values and belief in God. Or we can go, no, we're the light of the world. Jesus placed us here for this particular time on the planet, and he wants to use us to spread his love and grace. And that's exactly what the first church, the early followers, were in an incredibly hostile environment. And that's where the church thrives, by the way. Whether we like it or not, the church thrives in hostile environments, and the gospel spreads like wildfire. You know, it strikes me that oftentimes we hear a lot today about rights and our rights are being violated and we as Christians need to stand up and, uh, you know, some people can quote chapter and verse out of the Constitution faster than they can out of the word. And yet you make a very profound statement and observation, and that is that historically, you're right, the church tends to flourish the most when it's in that pressure cooker. Whether we talk about the first century church of Rome that had to hide in the catacombs underground to survive, to what's happening in places like North Korea, communist China, all across the continent of Africa, where people who are longing for authenticity and community and truth and the power of a changed life are so eager. And, and again, as we touched on a moment ago, um, Pastor Ingram, the, the notion that 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 fundamental longing and hunger has not changed how we deliver the message, perhaps the way in which we communicate, perhaps but learning that fundamentally people want that sense of belonging and community and want to have that feeling as if there is something in my life that I can count on when all else fails me. And that, that is a message that I think has certainly resonated down through the, the millennia, uh, going straight back to the way Christ himself expressed the message when he was amongst us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk a bit about what you've seen God doing and the the impact of the ministry of Awakening Church, for example. We we mentioned that it began fundamentally as uh, youth and collegiate outreach, and then God, as we said earlier, had other plans, and along the way, eventually um, led you and your wife and a, and a handful of folks to, to do a new church plant in San Jose. Is it challenging? Do you see differences today than where you were even, say, 10 years ago because of some of the stuff we've touched on, like technology and in particular, the fact that we're seeing this 
changing demographic. For example, I just read the other day that now in the San Francisco Bay region, uh, the Asian community is one of the largest population groups that we have, different from even 15 years ago when we might have said Latinos or Hispanics, and 15 years before that, we might have said Europeans. How is that changing demographic um, opening up doors of opportunity for ministry, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, the landscape's constantly changing. And I think in the technological age, it's changing more rapidly than ever. So it used to be, you know, every 100 years and then every 50 years and then every 20 years. And now it's, uh, it's it feels like every year there's a the landscape is changing. Um, and I think one of the exciting parts, again, about Silicon Valley is what happens here affects the whole world. So as pastors and as followers of Jesus, realizing that our influence and impact then spreads to these high tech companies that are, um, you know, in everyone's pocket and apps that uh, everyone's using. And so we, we have the ability of reach and impact like I think no other place on the planet. And I think the church, our vision and calling is to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. So it's it's really that the tip of the spear is 18 to 25 year olds. Uh, we, we say it this way, that we're a four generation church that's for this generation. Um, so when we planted awakening church, that generation were, were millennials. Uh, you know, I'm just, just made the gen X marker, but we're, we're reaching millennials. Now the millennials are the leaders and, you know, they have families and now we're reaching gen Z. And, you know, and then there's uh, Gen Alpha that's coming up behind them rather quickly. And so when I think of some of the changes and diversity, it's like it has to do with generational diversity of what what were the areas and things that language that we needed to learn with millennials. And then now with Gen Z, how do we connect to this younger generation that is called one of the most anxious generations that we've ever had? And so how do we then begin to meet them? where they're at um i love i think i i love the diversity in the bay area i just think it is so amazing awakening is an incredibly diverse church and i think i believe that's the future of the church that we need to um represent and resemble heaven every tribe every tongue every language um a lot better here on earth for historically i think and brokenly and sadly the church has been one of the most um segregated hours as i forget who said it that was, that uh, was martin luther king 11 a.m sunday morning america yeah. is at the most segregated it ever is for- yeah and 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 that is a, a clarion call for us as leaders to who are in the church to own it to repent of it and then to um, elevate and voices of diversity and invite that them to the table and so i think that's incredibly important and i love i love the diversity of the bay area and as you say you know you open up your front door and it looks more like heaven than i think most of us realize i I, i'm curious from your perspective obviously the issue of engagement is one of the challenges the church is having, not only in terms of understanding what that looks like, um, you know, cross-culturally, cross-generationally, cross-technology, but then the notion, and we've seen some of this, and I, I'm just going to speak it, it may be uncomfortable for some people to hear, but, uh, I, you know, the, 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 the truth is it has to ultimately be, be put forward, that sometimes we in the church 
have taken the position that we have the truth, we have the word, and so we just need to go out there and bang it into people's heads to convince them that we're right and they'll eventually see things our way. I- I'm wondering, what, what what's wrong with that oftentimes hostile approach? And I'm going to choose my words wisely here because I know we need to go and share the gospel, share truth in boldness, and we are called to be both light and salt. But I think... And I wonder, from your perspective, if if sometimes maybe we do so such a good job at the salt part that maybe we tend to even sometimes pour a bit of that same salt in wounds as opposed yeah. to looking for a healing approach that can bring about genuine engagement that can, watch this, build the trust necessary for people to be able to then essentially give us permission for us to speak. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, the old adage, I think it started with Young Life back in the day, the founder of Young Life, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, and, I, and we often lose sight of that. And I think if we just study back to the first century and study the life of Jesus, it would be an interesting thing uh, for those who are listening. Would Just go through the Gospels and see how many questions Jesus asked. And how many times he responds to a question with a question. Um, It's a rabbinic um, tool, a teaching tool that they used. And yet it's lost in our day is we don't even begin with questions. We begin with answers. Jesus, Jesus often began with questions and even took questions asked to him. He responded with questions. And then he and then he told stories. He told lots and lots of stories that helped begin to form and shape and understand an understanding of what this kingdom of heaven was like. Um, And when you look at how he interacted, those who are very far from Jesus, he always led with compassion first and then followed with clarity. Uh, I can take John 8, the woman caught in adultery, compassion first. And then after everyone left, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more uh, at the pool of Bethesda, where the person, uh, the man was lame for 38 years, heals him, meets with him, and then follows up later and says, now, you know, stop sinning or something worse will happen. Like he does follow with clarity. I think that's the problem. Some people are like, we're going to lose the clarity. No, Jesus led with compassion. And often what happens is, as the church, we lead with clarity and never get around to compassion. Yeah, or or condemnation, which I think is oftentimes just a a sign of a sense of self-righteousness. And and, and Christ had words to say about that sense of self-righteousness, too, didn't he? Well, that's the interesting part, is that formula was flipped when he was only was talking to religious leaders. Mm. Nicodemus. Yeah. Uh, when he was talking, so he always led with clarity. Those who had the light, those who were supposed to have the truth, well, he gave them the light back of this is what, you're, you're supposed to know this. And when they responded to that, then he followed with clarity. And so our approach differs for those who are followers of Jesus to those who are far from Jesus. My special guest today, the founding and senior pastor of Awakening Church of San Jose, Pastor Ryan Ingram, with us today. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. Visiting today with founding and senior pastor of Awakening Church of San Jose, Pastor Ryan Ingram. Pastor Ingram, let's come back to what we were talking about. 
you mentioned something a moment ago that I'd like to have you elaborate on, um, Pastor Ingram, and that is you talked about storytelling. And, and certainly, you know, as we're going to introduce Christ to somebody else, sharing our own story, vitally important. And and, and I think it, it presupposes the, the notion that, well, for example, if, if I came to you and said, tell me about your wife, Jenny. Wow, you could tell me about what her interests are, her hobbies are, where she went to school, what her favorite color is, what her favorite favorite flower is, all of it. And then as you would share that, I'd say, wow, I'm getting to know a little bit of this person vicariously through the story that you're telling. And maybe my, my interest is piqued to find out more. I would suggest maybe the same approach when it comes to sharing Christ with others might be equally as effective, but perhaps for lacking one thing, and that is you can't talk about a person if you don't know them. If if you and Jenny met, got married, and then lived in two separate states, <laughs> never talked, you probably couldn't tell me much about her. I'm wondering if maybe one of the challenges in front of the church today is that if we're going to be effective communicators of the gospel and sharing our story, we have to know whom it is in whom we have believed. And I fear that perhaps part of the, the ineffectiveness, so to speak, uh, of the church and oftentimes is the fact that we don't really know him. We know of him. We go to church. It's what we do. It's not necessarily indicative of who we are or the fashion and depth in which we really know him. Your yeah, thoughts? That, absolutely. And in fact, one of the things, speaking of Jenny, uh, over the last several years, as we just looked at the way Christians were responding, not not what's happening in the world, but just the way Christians were responding to things, especially online. And she had this great line. She's like, I feel like Jesus just got lost from the conversation. I don't see him. And it was so convicting. And as we just said, 2023, just for us as a church, we're going to get to know Jesus afresh. And, and at times you just feel almost silly as a pastor saying that because isn't that what we're always doing and should be doing? But it doesn't, it's not representative when I look at the church and Christians that we really know Jesus. We're, we've fallen freshly in love with him. We know what's on our, his heart and we're beginning to do the kinds of things he would do if he were in our place. And so for us, just this entire year, we're preaching solely out of the Gospels, and our groups are going through, you know, selected readings through the Gospels and teachings, and just like, that's the whole goal, is like, if you really get to know Jesus, man, He changes your life, He brings hope, purpose, and meaning, and all I know is He changed my life, and I, I can't stop talking about Him. And so that's that's where people I absolutely agree is um, the beginning place we we can look out there, but it, the beginning place is right inside our heart and right with our relationship with Jesus. And you know, I think it's a valid question for all of us to ask to kind of check ourselves. Uh, we're so eager sometimes to to slap back, to clap back, to uh, engage on social media. We find a statement that we don't like or learn about a news story, and we immediately want to you know stand up for the truth and let our position be known and maybe as we engage in those dialogues it would be extremely healthy to every now and then stop and ask ourselves where is jesus in this conversation is he a part of this conversation at all or have we just 
run off by the wayside and and and, and left him uh, somewhere else. And I, I'm reminded of the the passage of scripture in which, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we? you know, raise the dead and heal people yeah. in your name. Look at all the wonderful things we've done for you in your name. And here Christ comes back and says, get thee behind me, Satan. I knew you not. Wow. I never knew you. Mm. And that, that word, there's two different words in Greek, probably more, but for knowing. And that's, that's, that's the word of relational knowing. Let's talk a bit about what God is doing at Awakening Church. Um, active stuff going on. I, you guys have, you know, not only that 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 local heartbeat, which I love, but also a global heartbeat. You're actively involved in uh, outreach in Haiti, and of course, right there in the Greater South Bay community, a homeless outreach, food pantry. Boys, a lot going on. Just kind of give us a, a bit of a thumbnail sketch, if you would, Pastor Ingram, as to what God is doing at Awakening. Yeah, a lot. A lot of exciting things. Uh, it began with, we do meet on a high school campus. We've been there now just about 11 years. Um, and we said it's more than a place to meet, but a people to love. And so where we meet is our, is our first mission field uh, and ministry. And so we adopted that high school. Uh, and at first it was met with suspicion because if you're going to love somebody there, what do you want? And we said, there's no strings attached. And so we love and serve the faculty there, the students, um, every, every single, at, we're just going to do it this next week at the end of every semester, we throw, um, bring in a taco truck and end of the year, uh, end of the semester party for the teachers. Um, uh, we did uh, paid for college application fees for students who couldn't afford to go to college, you know, wow. pay for those colleges. $18,000 this last year uh, got students who wouldn't have afforded to be able to even do the fee to be able to apply and get into college. Um, we do a food pantry every other week on Del Mar High's campus. Um, and so, I mean, I could go on and on. There's lots going on there. The most exciting part is the relationship we've developed where uh, their administration say Awakening Church is family. And, and like if there's a need and I get an email from the principal or from another teacher of a family need, we, we help individual families con consistently. Most of our benevolence money goes towards those families at the school. And so that's exciting for us. And just one way I, I think I would if more churches could just adopt one school, the impact we would have. And just the, go for the long run. And it's not about getting more people into your church. It's just about loving the community the way we think Jesus would love them. And then leaving the results up to him. And I love it because it's all about the church being the church, that relational engagement and taking the non-transactional approach. I mean, these days it seems as if everything that we do is, well, if I give you this, what do I get? And vice versa. Instead, if you look at, at God's example, he said, guess what? It's free for all. We've done all the work. What can you do to be saved? Absolutely nothing can you do to be saved because it's all provided you in Christ Jesus. And I think that that really ought to be the, the guide, not only for the way we understand our relationship with him, but also the way we understand our relationship with others. That it's not about giving to get. It's about giving simply out of love and compassion and impacting 
the community where God has called us to right there. Uh, I want to remind listeners that, again, service times for Awakening Church, Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. and again at 11.15 a.m. and all kinds of stuff going on, as you heard Pastor Ryan Ingram mention a moment ago. More details, too, available on the web at awakeningchurch.com. That's awakeningchurch.com. Finally, Pastor Ryan, for someone eavesdropping on our conversation today, maybe take a moment and just extend a personal invitation for them to come out and join church on a Sunday morning and see what God is doing. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're searching or looking for a church home or just have questions about Jesus and spirituality, uh, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, it's a very casual environment uh, filled with lots of young people, but of every age and generation as well, lots of families. And um, uh, it's a moment where we uh, aren't trying to have this great production, but we want to help you encounter the presence of Jesus. And so we have great music, we have great teaching, we have all those sort of things, but our heart is more than anything for you to experience community and the presence of Jesus. Again, that's Awakening Church online at awakeningchurch.com, awakeningchurch.com. Our thanks to Pastor Ryan Ingram, lead pastor, for joining us today. What a delight to visit with you. Hope we get a chance to do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, it has become a part of our American modern vernacular. I suspect even the term is used in many parts around the world. Am I right? If you want some information, want to get some data, you know, there was a day and an age back when we were youngins, Richard, we would go to something called the library, a big building, lots of things in it called books, reference section to get information. Today, what do you do? What do you say? You say, Google it. Absolutely. And, of course, this multi-billion dollar corporation has become a worldwide entity that has provided us not only uh, the tools of research to gain access to almost any website in the world that you like to get information about, uh, but also you can snoop into your neighbor's backyard, you can peep through their front windows with Google Street View and gain all kinds of information. Of course, oddly enough, they're apparently gaining all kinds of information on you, too. By the way, Richard, I noticed your lawn needs to be mowed. I was checking out Google the other day, so, you know, get that taken care of, would you? And, of course, recently we, we've seen them gathering information that included capturing every bit of data that was traversing across every open wireless network in the country as they went up and down the streets um, taking pictures of the front of your house. And, of course, Google says, oh, this is all very incident, uh, very incidental and by accident. It was a, quote, engineering mistake. Yeah, terabytes worth of data were just accidentally Collected. Well, with some insights on this, Scott Cleland joins us now, author of a new book called Search and Destroy, Why You Can't Trust Google Inc. And Scott, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. What of this whole thing? You know, we'll begin, I guess, first with one of the most notable uh, intrusions into our privacy as uh, Google was going up and down, traversing the streets, avenues, uh, drives and boulevards of every major portion of America uh, for their street view, gathering not just photographs, but apparently lots of other information that they claim was all by accident. Really? Well, um, it's not by accident when you have when you're doing it in 33 countries over um, a three-year period with hundreds of vehicles. So, um, you know, their excuse was not that it was a mistake and it was only one rogue engineer that had programmed it, and that's just a preposterous explanation. 
So we know that they patented the technology, and we know that um, you know there were you know hundreds and hundreds of people involved. And if you know, in order to believe them, we'd have to believe they have zero management control and zero supervision. Uh, um, so it's it's they're they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. In their explanation, you spent a lot of time researching, investigating this company based right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, fully eight congressional subcommittees have sought your expert testimony uh, on a variety of topics. Um, tell us from your research, Scott, beyond that sense of just being horrifically intrusive into every open and unsecured uh, wireless network in every neighborhood across the planet, what else about this company makes you nervous? Well, um, the big untold story here, Craig, is that Google is a hidden threat to everybody on the Internet. While everybody knows there are great, great benefits, great innovations of Google, they don't appreciate that Google is really becoming Big Brother Inc. You know, um, they're the, probably the single biggest threat to people's privacy and security online. And the other thing that's important to know um, about Google is, is that they're not the trustworthy, ethical, and unbiased uh, company they pretend to be. You know, when, you, when I've studied them, it's obvious that they serially disrespect people, privacy, property, and the rule of law. One of the things, and, and folks maybe that, uh, that use Google Chrome, for example, uh, as, as their search engine, uh, I recently had a computer that was having some problems, and a friend said, well, you know, if you're having problems with Internet Explorer, why not check out Google Chrome? And so I did, found that it seemed to function a little bit more smoother. Uh, and then, it, it, much to my surprise, I found out that not only every website that I visited, but every page that I went to was being captured there for all to see. And, you know, I'm not doing anything surreptitious or anything that I have to be embarrassed about so it's no big deal but the thought occurred to me well if this is being captured on my local machine for anybody to innocently walk up to look at the history and see everywhere on planet earth that i've been to i wonder how much of that data is also being captured by google and for what purpose well you're you're right you're talking about the creepy side of google and um they track everything on the internet not only everything you do but everything everybody does over a billion people they're the only company that does this and has a capability to do it so they're the only entity on earth really that knows what you want what you think what you believe what you read what you watch and what you intend to do in the future and they know you better than you know yourself because they do it 24-7, 365, and unlike you, they don't forget. So, in other words, let's say, for example, something fairly harmless and innocent as, um, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, the car's got quite a few miles on it. Now might be a good time to do some shopping. There's talk about vehicle prices going up here, what with what's been going on in Japan and so forth. And so I'm spending time. I'm looking at dealerships. I'm looking at car makes and models. I'm spending time over at uh, you know, Consumer Reports and other automotive magazines looking for information. Google is capturing all of that information and potentially could, what, turn around and sell it to somebody that might then target me to uh, uh, to try to be, make me become a client of theirs, a customer of theirs? Well, well actually, that's not the threat, because Google's a monopoly. They don't want to you know, sell your information to anybody. They want to harvest it for themselves for um, to reinforce their monopoly. So let me kind of lay out the, the risk to your, your listeners and to, and to you. Uh, but first, we have to know, you know um, that Google pushes the envelope on privacy in, in a lot of scary ways. They can track you wherever you go online, and they do it through search, 
through ad serving, and you may not know that even when you're off Google, any place you go where you go to a website and it takes a little um, second or two for an ad to appear, Google's delivering that, and they have a cookie there, and they know where you've been on that on that website. And then any time you go to YouTube, Android, you talked about Chrome, uh, an operating system, and they have 500 other products and services where many of them also track you. So they track everything you do online. They also can track you where you're going offline in the physical world. They also eavesdrop on you. That's what you talked about at the beginning of the show. They read your email. They photograph your house, like you described at the beginning of the show. And they can even record your face, um, your voice print, and they also want your face print for facial recognition. Let me stop you right there, because I suddenly feel like I'm listening to somebody that's reading out of, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, 1984, you know. Um, uh, let me pause there for a moment, if we can, Scott, and come back to the conversation, because suddenly we've gone from the places that I visit online, that makes sense, as I'm doing a search through Google to so many other activities that are offline, so to speak. Oh, Big Brother is looming. Big Brother cares. Big Brother is here to help. We'll come back as we uh, talk about this topic of search and destroy why you can't trust Google Inc. They're probably monitoring this broadcast as we speak. Back with more. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 